December 2017. Nadia Atwi's vehicle is discovered wedged into some bushes at a park near her home. Just want to tell her that I love her. Come back today. I would forget about what happened. But Nadia is never seen again. If I go back, I would react differently, but I didn't know. The next call, the case of Nadia Atwi, available now on the CBC Listen app and everywhere you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. When I read the article, literally I just kind of fell to the floor and just cried. It just broke my heart is all. Like I just felt like grief, disappointment, um, a little bit of anger and really just mostly just shock like that what I thought was how things unfolded actually could not be true. Kimberly Taylor is talking about reading a CBC News article. It was a story that we actually brought you here on The Current, a story about adoptions from South Korea that weren't what they seemed. That story changed her life. CBC reporter Priscilla Kiswon Hong Wong brought us that original documentary, and she's back now with an update. This is an incredible story. Good morning. Good morning. Remind us, um, what's behind all these cases that you first told us about in the fall? Well, Matt, we had been interviewing dozens of Korean-Canadian adoptees across the country for months. And uh, to remind you, all of them arrived as toddlers with a set of adoption papers. And these legal documents labeled them as orphans, some abandoned on the street and often without any record of their birth father or mm. birth mother. And, and so many of these adoptees are now in their 40s, 50s and 60s and are in a place in their lives where they'd like to know a bit more about their lineage, their family origins in South Korea. And during that process of what's commonly known as a birth search, many of them are learning some pretty shocking truths. Uh, Some adoptees told us they discovered their birth parents were still alive and even searching for them. And so just to give you a sense of numbers, worldwide, there are about 200,000 Korean adoptees of those, about 3,000 here in Canada, and many of them are uncovering that their documents may have been falsified, um, manipulated even by Korean authorities and adoption agencies. This was an explosive story, if I might say. Um, What was the response that you had to this reporting? Yeah, so immediately after the story was released on TV, web, and of course here on radio, our email inboxes were inundated with responses. Uh, Many were from Korean-Canadian adoptees and some adoptive parents. And somewhat surprising here, Matt, is that most of them told us they had absolutely no idea this was an issue, that there were potential falsification of orphan papers and that everything they were led to believe for decades could potentially be a lie. And of all the emails we received, one story stood out. And that's the woman you heard in the introduction, Kim Taylor. Tell us about her. Who is she? Yeah. So to give you a backstory about Kim, she was adopted from South Korea at the age of four to family in British Columbia. And this was back in 1975. And uh, here's what she knew about her past. The narrative I grew up with was that I was abandoned as a baby on the doorsteps of an orphanage or church, or I'm not sure exactly, but basically that I was abandoned, um, that there were no family. And then 
I think early in the 90s, it, well, definitely in my 20s, uh, we did try to do like a brief search and was told that the orphanage had burnt down, that all the documents were destroyed. And it just, it, it felt like it was kind of hopeless. So most of my life, I just basically, as these feelings would come up, I would just kind of push it down. It's like, it's no point in dwelling on it. It's not going to happen. Um, it, it's impossible. It really is. So that that's why when I saw the article, it was just that critical moment where it gave me that hope. So what did she do after that? Yeah, so this part of the story, it's pretty neat. She Googled Leah Kim Brighton, who we interviewed in the first story. Mm -hmm. She is an adoptee herself who helps others try to reconnect with their birth parents. And with Leah's help, Kim submitted a DNA test and within weeks, Matt she got a match. She she discovered she had two biological sisters and within days they were on a virtual call. I didn't really know what to expect and um, then they came on and their faces came on <laughs> and we all just started crying and I think the first words out of their mouth was oh my daddy because they said that I look just identical to my dad. <laughs> they couldn't believe how much I resembled him and it was really hard but uh, it was an incredible moment too um, we just stared at each other probably for 10 minutes and cried and uh, and then it was and then we and then we started laughing and and then other other members of the family poked their face into the screen and and introduced themselves and we chatted for like an hour and we just we just cried and laughed and and touched the screen with our hands you know trying to touch this and um this was really just um like a finding myself like it was incredible and um yeah I, it was the best moment of my life i have to say the best moment of your life. I mean, the hair on your arm stands up when you yeah. hear her describe that. It's incredible. Yes, it, it definitely is. So after that, after the video call and they touch the screen, I mean, what happens then? Do they go and meet in person? Mm-hmm. So after that heartfelt video call, they all decided that they absolutely had to spend part of the holidays together. So they agreed to meet in New Jersey, where one of her sisters immigrated to. Here's Kim and her daughter on their way to the airport ahead of the reunion. Okay, Mom, we just got in the car. What are your feelings? <laughs> are you well, excited? <laughs> I'm going to meet my whole family for the first time in 50 years, so I'm pretty excited. What are you most looking forward to? A hug. Aww. A hug. So there's this reunion. Mm -hmm. You can't even imagine what that kind of moment would have been like. Um, walk us through what happened. Well, Kim tells it just perfectly. And if you didn't shed a tear earlier, a little warning for you and our listeners, have some tissues ready. When we got off the plane, because I knew my sisters were going to pick me up, um, it was we came in very early, so it was a pretty quiet. And uh, I, we were the first ones kind of down there. weren't a lot of people. I was looking around. Right and then they saw me and uh, ran towards me, and we just, like, we just cried. Oh, my God. Oh, my God and just touching each other's faces and they were saying my sister my sister and oh my daddy <laughs> it just it was just it was so incredible <laughs> 
That's amazing. Like, I don't even know what to say. Yeah. <laughs> I, I still get chills. What did she find out after that moment, that incredible meeting in, in, in the airport? What, what did she find out about her, her past, I guess, from, from this family that she's just come to meet? Yeah, so this is where it gets a little bit more heartbreaking. Uh, not only did Kim clearly uncover that she wasn't an orphan, she found out she was secretly taken from her father. My father was one of seven, and um, my mother passed away when I was three years old. And uh, so I would have been three years old when I left the family. Um, there was there were four children in the family, and uh, me and my younger sister were uh, were adopted out. They, I, you know, it was post post Korean War. There was so much poverty, and I think they just, I mean, they did they they did it out of hope that we would have a better life. And um, what I gather happened is that my father went out of town and my uh, grandmother and his elder sister um, decided to take me to the orphanage. And um, when he came home, we were gone and he, he, he didn't know about it. So it, um, it, it really broke. So he, um, it, yeah, it just, it um, really broke him for most of his life. And so you just heard Kim talking about how she found out how she was taken from her father without him knowing. And another truth she learned was that um, she learned her real name, Pak Mihua. Mm. And so Kim is now going by Mihua and is changing her name legally to that. And this is vastly different from what was on her adoptive records she held on to for 50 years. Those documents said her name was Kim Yong Soon, a name the adoption agency completely made up for her. Mm. And Mihua is also celebrating a different birthday moving forward. Why is that, real, I was going to yeah. say, why is that important for her? Uh, her real one, because um, she says that um, finding out that everything that she knew to be true in the past 50 something years of her life and finding out that that was just made up completely on on paper and meeting her family and they them telling her this is your real name, her your real birthday. She says now she's discovering who she really is mm -hmm. and it's opening up a, a whole new chapter in her life. Korean is in my DNA it's it's part of who i am and i don't think i can be a more complete person without allowing myself to engage in that and to and to let that part blossom and uh, i'm just thankful that it happened i'm 53 and i'm hopefully going to live another 50 years and i have all this time to develop these relationships and uh, and my i have four uh, beautiful children who are in their early 20s and they have an opportunity to really connect with their ancestry and um, I'm really excited for that as well so it's not just about me it's about the legacy that it leaves down for my children for my children's children um, that they can that they can connect with their Korean roots too it's like a past that you didn't even know you had yeah, exactly. What, what an incredible story. Thank you very much. You're very welcome, Matt. You can watch Miwa Taylor's story tonight on The National and read more online at cbcnews.ca. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.